This is Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jem Ekman, President of Grace University. Issues in Perspective provides a weekly overview of news that pertains to your Christian life and is designed to help you discern and interpret issues that affect you in light of God's truth. Here is Dr. Jem Ekman to help you think biblically about these issues. Welcome and thank you for being with me today on our program, Issues in Perspective. In our first perspective today on the program, I'd like to think with you about the London riots. Our son, Jonathan, lives in London in the United Kingdom, and this August, my wife and I were in London for his wedding. It was a very special time for our family. But during the time we were in London, we saw the London police carrying machine guns and other weapons, something I've never seen in all the times I've been in London, England. This public display of weapons and force was due to the riots and anarchy in some of the UK's major cities. These riots were shocking and rather abnormal for the society one typically sees in the United Kingdom. Prime Minister David Cameron and his government have tried to explain the riots and the larger social disturbances as a manifestation of the dysfunction and brokenness of British society. Is Cameron correct? Let's think about this. First of all, a few comments on the causes of such random violence. Was it a manifestation of injustice? Was it a response of the weak and the oppressed to the strong and the wealthy? There seems little evidence to that effect. In fact, listen to columnist Peggy Noonan. The British press, left and right and center, was largely united in a refusal to make political excuses for the violence. Almost all agreed on the cause and the nature of what happened. The cause was not a revolt of the downtrodden masses breaking into stores for food. The causes were greed, selfishness, and respect for, and even a lust for violence, and a lack of moral grounding. Close that quote. In the left-wing paper, The Guardian, Sean Bailey writes, Young people have been looting the shops they like. J.D. Sports and mobile phone shops have been hit, yet Waterstones, a bookstore, have been left alone. These young people like trainers, which are sneakers, and iPhones. They are less interested in books. This is criminality in a raw form, not politics. Theodore Dalrymple of the City Journal was perhaps the most poignant of British commentators. He wrote, Due to the welfare state's entitlement mentality and the degenerate state of British popular culture, we have a population that thinks, because it has often been told so by intellectuals in the political class, that it is entitled to a high standard of consumption, irrespective of its personal efforts, and therefore it regards the fact that it does not receive the high standard by comparison with the rest of society as a sign of injustice. Interesting observation, I think you would agree. Apparently, dependency on the state does not foster gratitude. Rather, it fosters acute, violent resentment. Second observation about the London riots. These riots establish a disturbing contrast within British society and culture itself. In April, the British nation, and indeed the world, fixated on a wedding of a regal prince and a radiant princess. In less than four months, that same nation and the world fixated, in the words of Jonathan Sachs, chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the Commonwealth, on hooded ewes, running riot down high streets, smashing windows, looting shops, setting fire to cars, attacking passersby, and throwing rocks at police. He goes on, 
It was shopping with violence, consumerism run rampage, an explosion of lawlessness made possible by mobile phones as gangs discovered that by text messaging, they could bring crowds onto the streets where they became for a while impossible to control. Close that quote. Poignantly and profoundly, Sachs argues that in every Western society in the 1960s, there was a moral revolution, an abandonment of its entire traditional ethic of self-restraint. All you need, sang the Beatles, is love. The Judeo-Christian moral code was jettisoned. In its place, whatever works for you. The Ten Commandments became the Ten Suggestions. Or, as Alan Bloom put it in The Closing of the American Mind, I am the Lord your God. Relax. Sachs likewise cites some rather frightening statistics that cannot be ignored, even in America. In the United Kingdom, 40% of all children are born outside of marriage. British society is characterized by whole communities without fathers and without meaningful male role models. This has led to new forms of child poverty that serious government spending has failed to cure. In 2007, a UNICEF report found that Britain's children are the unhappiest in the world. British society places the entire burden of raising children on women. For 91% of single-parent families in Britain are headed by the mother, which is practically absurd and morally indefensible. By the time boys are in their early teens, they are physically stronger than their mothers. Having no fathers, they are socialized into gangs. No one can control them, not parents, teachers, or even the police force. Furthermore, evidence coming from the arrest of the rioters shows that 60% of those arrested had previous criminal records and 25% of those arrested belonged to gangs. The riots manifest something much deeper about British society. The collapse of families and communities leaves it in its wake unsocialized young people, deprived of parental care who on average, and yes, there are some exceptions, do worse than their peers at school, are more susceptible to drug and alcohol abuse, less likely to find stable employment, and more likely to land up in jail. If we are intellectually honest with ourselves as members of Western civilization, we are now living with the consequences of the moral and ethical revolution of the 1960s. That revolution produced a civilization that has proclaimed you can have sex without the responsibility of marriage, children without the responsibility of parenthood, social order without the responsibility of citizenship, liberty without the responsibility of morality, and self-esteem without the responsibility of work and earned achievement. There are large parts of the Britain of Britain, Europe, and even the United States, where religion is a thing of the past, and there is no countervoice to the culture of buy it, spend it, wear it, flaunt it, because you're worth it. The message is that morality is passe, conscience is for wimps, and the single overriding command is, thou shalt not be found out. Thirdly, let me put all of this in historical perspective. The London riots and what I think is the dysfunction and the decadence of not only British culture but all of Western civilization needs to be put now in a historical perspective. As the Industrial Revolution 
came to Great Britain and then later to the United States, a similar crisis among youth occurred. One of the effects of the Industrial Revolution was a disruption of family life as people transitioned from an agricultural to an industrial economy and therefore society. Due to the pervasive practice of child labor during the Industrial Revolution, young people were cut off from their families and no longer under the control or discipline of their parents. Alcohol consumption increased during the Industrial Revolution, as did crime and violence. In the early decades of the 19th century, Sachs summarizes, there was an unprecedented growth in charities, friendly societies, working men's institutes, temperance groups, church and synagogue associations, Sunday schools, the YMCA, moral campaigns of every shape and size. All of these fought slavery, fought child labor, fought inhuman working conditions in the factories. The common factor of all of these initiatives was their focus on the building of moral character, self-discipline, willpower, and personal discipline. It worked. Within a single generation in the United States and Great Britain, crime rates came down. Social order was restored. What was addressed was nothing less than the remoralization of society, much of it driven by religion. Indeed, when Alexis de Tocqueville, a French citizen and somewhat of an aristocrat who visited America in the 1830s, he expected to see a thoroughly secular society. He was shocked. He knew that America practiced the separation of church and state. There was freedom of religion, but the state stayed out of all religious issues. But what he saw was not a secular society. What he saw was religious devotion. De Tocqueville saw a strong, non-religious state buttressed by a profoundly religious society in America, where religious conviction strengthened the family, taught morality, and encouraged active citizenship. Indeed, today, about a year and a half ago, Robert Putnam, the Harvard sociologist, published a new book called American Grace. It was published in 2010. Here's a summary of what, among other things, Putnam has found. Religious people make better neighbors and better citizens. They are more likely to give to charity, more likely to volunteer, to assist a homeless person, to donate blood, to spend time with someone feeling depressed, to offer a seat to a stranger on a bus or on a train, to help someone find a job or take part in local civic life. Affiliation to a religious community is the best predictor of altruism and empathy, better than education, age, income, gender, or race. Dear people, what we see historically is the moral and dysfunctional crisis that was a part of the Industrial Revolution was neutralized by the religious dynamics that were a part of the revivals that swept through Britain and swept through America, and all of what we today would call faith-based institutions, the YMCA, and all of the American Sunday School movement and British Sunday School movement, because it was founded in Britain, that swept through these countries and remoralized the culture after all the pressures and stressors of the Industrial Revolution. So let's apply this to where we are today in 2011. 
the solution to all of America's challenges, and I might add all of the UK's challenges, is not the state. We have created in the United States, and I would argue also in the United Kingdom, an entitlement culture. What has occurred in the UK is also occurring in America. History, as does common sense, it seems to me, teaches us that the state cannot change the lives of people. The state cannot make marriages work better. The state cannot transform hapless individuals into responsible citizens. The change agent of culture, of civilization, is spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation results in altered behavior, a new set of ethical values, self-control, concern for others, and an other-centered love that Jesus Christ described and indeed commanded. The moral transformation of the individual is not the role of the state, and it never will be. Let me add one additional thought. The moral revolution of the 1960s that I referred to above resulted, I believe, in another revolution, a reordering of our financial sensibilities. As people in American culture believed they could pursue personal morality as licentiousness, license, doing whatever you want, so gradually they transferred that kind of thinking to financial affairs. Many people believed that they could live a lifestyle based on debt, a lifestyle of spend more than you make. Such an ethos fueled the home mortgage boom, the unprecedented rise in consumer spending, and the culture of you deserve it. Hence, consumer debt skyrocketed, as did corporate debt, and especially government debt. With reckless abandon, the state grew and financed its social programs by means of debt. And the best example of that is the drug benefit program added to Medicare by President Bush. We are now living with all of those consequences. In my judgment, there is a straight line connection between the moral bankruptcy of Western civilization and its pending financial bankruptcy. As Sachs reports in his wonderful essay, the Chinese have been observing the United States for the last few decades especially, trying to explain the extraordinary success of America. At first, they concluded it was America's military power, perhaps its democratic society, they suggested, or the free market capitalistic economy. One of the members of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, who thoroughly studied American civilization for years, concluded that it was none of these factors. Instead, he said it was the religious foundation of America, specifically the ethical and moral underpinnings of the Judeo-Christian faith. Mao Zedong established the People's Republic of China in 1949, founded it on atheism. It failed. Today, the Chinese are exploring, and very tentatively exploring, a degree of religious freedom because of what they observed in America. There are today, for example, more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. The party has learned something from the United States. One Chinese leader said to me personally, we are becoming more like you in America. What we do not understand is why you are trying to become more like what we are abandoning. 
The challenges that America, indeed all of Western civilization, including the United Kingdom, are facing are fundamentally spiritual in nature. Thus, the solution to these challenges is also spiritual. In my judgment, the riots in the United Kingdom are a loud wake-up call to Western civilization. The United States and all other members of the Judeo-Christian heritage of Western civilization. Our fundamental problem is spiritual. It is not political, it is not economic, it is not social, it is spiritual. And spiritual transformation becomes the engine that changes culture. It's not the other way around. Will we heed this wake-up call? Well, to me, it's hard to be optimistic, but there is always hope God can continues to drive home his fundamental point that his redemptive plan in Jesus Christ is the solution to all of the challenges that human civilization faces. And since we live in America and are part of Western civilization, will we heed that call, the call to redemptive change and spiritual transformation that comes through Jesus Christ? Only time will answer that question. In our second and final perspective on the program today, I want to continue this emphasis on worldview issues and how it does impact everything else that's happening in culture. This edition is devoted to worldview issues, the thoughts, the ideas, the convictions that explain the nature and qualities of organized civilization. If you believe that there is no God to which you are accountable— and that there is no God who has provided redemption for you, you will live your life quite differently than one who affirms such propositions. Consider the very famous British philosopher of the 20th century, Bertrand Russell, who incidentally was one of the founders of analytic philosophy. One of his most famous books was Why I Am Not a Christian. For Russell, there is no God. What was absolute for Bertrand Russell was the material world, which is all there is. If one traces the origin of all things, one arrives at impersonal matter and nothing else. There is no spirit, there is no material world, and there's absolutely no personal God. The God of the Bible to Bertrand Russell was myth and human concoction. His worldview actually did not produce optimism, or a sense of anticipation for the future. Instead, Bertrand Russell's worldview produced acute despair. Listen to an extended quote from page 107 in his book, Why I Am Not a Christian. Listen carefully. Here, then, is the world which science built for our belief, Russell argues. That man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end when they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievements must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of the universe in ruins, 
only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Did you hear that last sentence? Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. How tragic. Contrast Bertrand Russell's despair with the hope and purpose of biblical Christianity. The Bible makes clear that humanity does die, but that reality is due to sin and rebellion against God. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, preceded by his substitutionary sacrifice for sin, paid the penalty for sin and conquered the mortal enemy, death. God did all this because he loves his creatures and seeks to reconcile not only humanity, but all of physical creation to himself. The Bible helps us to see this reality the way God sees it. And that reality is there is sin, but there is salvation through faith. There is hope. There is eternal life. And there is a God who created us, desires to fellowship with us, and provides an abundant, purpose-filled life. So, humanity must choose. Either the despair-based view of only materialism or the hope-filled salvation through Jesus Christ offered by the living, transcendent, and loving God. Blaise Pascal, a brilliant French thinker during, for the most part, the scientific revolution, posited his now famous wager. Now, I'm paraphrasing it, but here's what Blaise Pascal said. If there is no God, but I have believed that there is one, when I die, I really have lost nothing. But if I believe there is no God and I die, I have lost everything. Which proposition are you willing to embrace? I have been in an academic ministry virtually my entire adult life. I am more convinced than ever that worldview does matter. What a human being believes about creation, about the origins of all things, whether indeed there is a God, whether the condition of humanity requires a plan of salvation are all critical issues. They are important issues. They are important questions. Indeed, they are internally significant questions. In so many ways, the bottom line proposition of life is, Is there a God, and has he revealed himself? I'm a Christian. I'm a strong, biblically-based Christian. Genuine biblical Christianity informs and drives everything I do. I believe there is a God, and I believe strongly that he has revealed himself in Scripture, in the Bible. And those 66 books provide not only the basis for history, for science, but for ethical and moral living. It does matter. This is not a world filled with despair. That despair comes from human sin and rebellion against God. God is calling us to a life of hope because he loves us, has provided a redemptive plan for us through Jesus Christ, and desires to love, fellowship, and live with us for all eternity. He has provided the means to do that. But we must choose by faith the path that he's laid out before us. May God give us that passion to see spiritual renewal as the only hope for human civilization. 
You've been listening to Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jim Ekman, President of Grace University. Issues in Perspective is a radio production of Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska. If you have any questions or comments, or you would like a written summary of today's program, write to Issues in Perspective, 1311 South 9th Street, Omaha, Nebraska, 68108. You can also view a transcript and listen online at issuesinperspective.com. Join us next week for Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jim Ekman. Issues in Perspective is a listener-supported program and ministry of Grace University. You can listen to this program as well as past programs on the web. Just log on to issuesinperspective.com and click on the Listen To button. You can also find the link to Dr. Ekman's website by logging on to this radio station's website and click on the Issues in Perspective banner ad. Issues in Perspective depends on listeners like you in order to broadcast on this station and other Christian radio stations across the country. Please send your tax-deductible donation to Issues in Perspective, P.O. Box 3251, Omaha, Nebraska, 68103. Your generous donation will help spread the Word of God and how it relates to culturally engaged Christians in today's world.